Let me ask you a question. What does it take to unlock potential, to discover what's truly possible in business, to create a new normal? It takes one thing, a leader who raises the bar, who sets bigger goals and higher standards for your business, your team, and most importantly, yourself. I'm your host, Katherine Binkley. I've scaled businesses for over 17 years, and I've helped my clients make millions of dollars without sacrificing their freedom by building and leading high-performing teams. Together, we're going to explore what it takes to elevate your leadership, your team, and your business. This is The Elevate Effect. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have Ingrid Thompson with us. Um, Ingrid is an author, educator, mentor, and podcaster. Her passion for business combined with her training and finance background has seen her develop a proven methodology for starting a business. Her book, So You Want to Start a Business, takes readers through the steps to consider when considering getting started in business. Filled with worksheets, activities, and Ingrid's practical tell-it-like-it-is approach to business, this book is changing the way women are getting into business. And she also has a very popular podcast by the same name, So You Want to Start a Business. And in this, she interviews business owners who share their business startup story to reveal the upsides and lessons learned along the way. Welcome, Ingrid. So glad you're here. Thanks so much, Catherine. It sounds like I need to get rid of one of those considers, doesn't it, in that that bio? (laughs) (laughs) That's just a little tongue twister at this time of the day. So thanks so much for having me and listeners. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. So I'd love for you to first start out by telling us a little bit how you actually got started in your own business. Well, it was by accident, completely. I had a long corporate career. I am one of those people that actually had a very happy corporate career. Although my friends say in hindsight, it wasn't so happy, but my memories are sort of tinted with rose-tinted glasses, I think. But uh, so I spent many years working in a couple of Australia's largest corporations. And then it came around to that time when a lot of the people working in the training and development, learning and development areas were made redundant, let go, whatever we want to call that. And I thought, what am I going to do with myself? And I saw it as an opportunity to say, okay, let me see if this idea that's been ticking away in my mind might work. And I designed and um, made personally and then had somebody help me make a range of sleepwear that was very, it was just pure cotton. It was for sleeping in. And I went to the markets every weekend and I made them myself. I bought the fabrics, but it really wasn't sustainable for me as a business. And then somebody said to me one day, Ingrid, do you want to come and help us out with our accounting, Um, our book? And I said, oh, it's so long since I've done any accounting because I was previously an accountant, moved into training and development. So it must have been at least 10 or 15 years since I'd actually done any adding up of numbers in columns. And she said, Ingrid, you have to be better than the person we've had recently, uh, the three or four that they'd had. So that took me back to working 
in accounting, but what it took me to was small business. And so I did the accounting for them and then I helped them with their budgets. And then someone said, if you're doing that for them, would you like to do that for me? And my business started and I responded to what people wanted. Um, They needed help with their finances. They need help with their numbers. They needed to set budgets. Um, Some of the compliance stuff around, I, I, I wasn't a registered accountant, so I didn't do people's tax returns. But it helped me see what small business needed because I was in the business doing this work, listening to what was going on. And it's fascinating. Small business is an amazing, um, absolute backbone of our country. And same with yours, you know, mm-hmm. small business is what really runs. People think that the big businesses are what run the country, but it's the small businesses that actually keep the country running. Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of how my business started. Yeah. It wasn't my intention. I thought I would go back to the corporate world at some point, but yeah, there I am. Mm. What am, what an amazing point there as well about doing what the other, what businesses were asking for and letting them kind of lead you. That's incredible. Now coming full circle, and I'm sure we'll touch on that some more at some point, but coming full circle to now in your business, even though you've modeled things after what others need, what your audience needs, what is it about your business that really lights you up? I, well, there's a few things. There's the, um, the external. So it's what I actually am able to do for people, people who don't have the knowledge and the experience that I have. So I understand finance. I understand systems and processes. I understand customer service. And these are the things that are truly important when you're running a business of any size. Mm-hmm. Um, so just helping people see the importance of putting systems in place, getting the numbers right, having a really sound process for looking after customers. So really understanding what that journey is that a customer might take and where are the customer contact points along the way. And then that's what grows a business. So just really helping people in their business. And then the other side of it is my own side is the, um, just the way my lifestyle is having a business myself is that you sort of choose the times of day that you want to work. You get to choose the customers you work with. Um, So it's both sides. It's the two sides of that. It's the work that I'm able to do in the world because for me to just sit and not share that um, would be wrong. Um, And, but there's also a tiny selfish part of it that allows me to do what I want to do and yeah, work with who I want to work with. Yeah. When I work with my clients, I often talk to them about the the side that's the impact side, but then also not leaving out that selfish why, because you've got to want to do it, right? There's got to be something yeah. for you. So I love that. Yeah. That you have yeah. I'm glad that you have both there. So when you work with small business owners now and they're coming to you, I know that one of the things that you help them with is figuring out how to niche down. And so let's dive into that a little bit, because even though, even though it's extremely important, so many business owners really resist that early on. And it sounds counterintuitive. They're struggling to get clients at first, or they don't understand how to get clients. And they feel like, okay, wait, you want me to narrow down who I'm talking to and marketing to in order to grow? So can you talk a little bit about that and why it is so important? Well, I think the best way is to give examples. So um, I I have written the book, So You Want to Start a Business. And the 
the book is generic. It's anybody thinking about starting a flower shop, a yoga studio, um, making a product, you know, it's, the book is there. It's the fundamental seven steps. So if I'm talking about the book, it's a very general discussion and people listen and they hear it. I work mostly with health professionals, healers, well-being, people who work in that sort of environment. And so when I'm talking to them, my language starts to become much more specific. And so I even more than that, I work a lot with Pilates, yoga, personal trainers. And so while the language is specific to the health professional, to somebody who works in well-being and healing, other people can hear it as well. And so it doesn't, it actually, I think there's a real freedom in lots of people can hear what you're saying if you're able to make it very specific to the person that you really want to work with. And mine just keeps getting narrower and narrower because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and it doesn't mean that I can't work with other people. And I think that's the important thing to remember. And I've I've been thinking about this question because I knew we were going to talk about it. And I think what happens is people look at Apple. And people look at Facebook Mm. and they see, you know, a third of the planet is engaged with Facebook. You know, I don't know how much of the planet has Apple products. That's not how they started. And I think this is why people find it hard to understand the importance of the niche is that if you look at Apple, now I can remember Apple in the 90s when computers first came in. And there's no way in the world I saw myself as an Apple user. It was a very specific creative group of people that, you know, I don't know if I even knew anybody that was an Apple. Like to me, that was such a niche. It it was those bubbles, you know, if people can remember those lovely coloured bubble computers. um, They were very, very creative people. They were, you know, um, people who were a very select audience. Um, And the same with Facebook. Facebook started with one small class of college students and then it grew from there. So I think it's really, really important not to take these big companies as our role models, but in fact, to look at their history and where they started. And I think those are two of the best. And you could apply that to any tea brand, um, clothing brand, you know, they start with a very small niche. And the fact that they're worldwide popular now, that's not the story. So if we're in the first few years of our business, then who do we really want to do that for and do it so well that nobody else can, can nobody else can offer what we're offering. Mm, that's amazing. I love thinking back to those examples and even at Facebook for myself, I remember when it started with a small class of college students and became available to colleges. And I was actually still in college in my senior year mm-hmm. when um, they started to spread it out to other colleges and I was just waiting. I couldn't wait for, for them to let my college get on the platform. And finally they did, but yeah, it's, it's grown a lot from there and it's easy. It's easy to forget that. Wow. I hadn't, I mean, I, I don't think it came to Australia till it was well and truly established. Okay. I don't know when it, I don't know when it came here, but I mean, and for most people, it's like it's always been. Yeah. Like it, it's almost as if Facebook never existed. I mean, it has always existed. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that clearly helps us all see the importance. What are some of the benefits of having, so obviously that was helpful to Apple. It's helpful to Facebook. Why is that helpful to the small business owner? 
Well, I work, let's say, um, a Pilates instructor that I work with. So um, recently um, I was talking to this one particular instructor and she wanted to start her own studio and we she was ready to get going. And then we said, how about we have a plan, have a think about it. So in looking at who she was going to be an instructor for, like who was her Pilates client, she, it turned out when we looked at her who are her clients that come in regularly? Who are the ones that really, as your expression, light her up? You know, mm-hmm. who, when she looks at that list and sees who's coming in today, it's like, ah, oh, John's coming in or Karen's coming in. And who are they and what is it that's similar about them that that helps her decide who her niche is? Mm-hmm. It turned out she was really good at working with men who were in their 30s to 40s and had an injury of some sort. Now, you could think that Pilates, everybody would come to Pilates, but by her turning her attention to men who are in their 30s and 40s who have an injury and she helps them get back to the gym, get back on the bike, get back to the running track, whatever it is that they want to do. So what happens then if you're a man in your 40s and you have fallen off your bike and you've got an injury, you've done something to one of those muscles in your legs or maybe more than one, you're looking for somebody to help you. Are you going to go to the generalist Pilates instructor who helps everyone do everything? Or are you going to take your legs with their injuries to someone who specializes in looking after people who've done injuries and get them back on? You are going to take your injury to someone who knows how to look after injuries. And, you know, I know you've given examples of, you know, when your child broke its arm and, you know, so we looked, we, for ourselves, we look for someone who has a specialty. I have curly hair. Do I go to a general hairdresser? No way. I have found someone who only works with curly hair. Mm. And so he cuts my hair because he understands curl. Uh, Yeah. So when we are looking for someone, we look for a specialist. So why would we not offer some kind of specialty? Does my Pilates woman work with people who aren't 30 and 40-year-old men with leg injuries or arm injuries? Of course she does. Lots of other people come to her because she works with other people. But that's the area she talks to. That's the area she attracts. And so many people are afraid there, there's mm. literally fear that comes up with, okay, if I only talk about those with injuries, then no one else is going to want to hire me, but that's just simply not true. So how do you, how do you address that fear other than just stating these facts that we've stated? How can, how can we work through it? Well, I think using the examples, I think examples are a, a, a part of it. Um, and I think if somebody really is fearful, then Sometimes we have to be a little bit tough. And if we look at, if we continue on that general path, then how's that working for you? Um, and I don't use that expression very often because, you know, most of the people who come to me are smart. Most of the people who come to me um, kind of know that what we're working with is the truth. And I'm here to help give them the confidence that if they take that niche approach that they are more likely to be successful Mm -hmm. and so have the confidence to stay with that. And I think one of the dangers is that we take more, um, I just, I want to say we take a broader approach because we want to be able to have more clients because we need more money. And if money's the issue that we're taking more clients, then how else can we have money? And sometimes having a side job, um, you know, doing something part-time and going 
to run your business as a part-time side hustle rather than a full-on business allows that uh, creation of the niche Mm -hmm. without having to worry about the money. Because I think if money's the driver for treating everybody, then that's not going to actually work. It's it's counterproductive. Yeah. So, you know, I think if you look at a lot of the really successful people, like so if I take my Pilates instructor, for example, so while she was getting ready to start her business, she was working in three or four other Pilates studios just doing whatever they wanted. So while she then built her own clientele that said, this is what I specialise in, this is what I work with. And, and she's now got a very successful um, Pilates studio right near the beach um, she does have a number of clients who are in that um, cohort of the injured, but she has a lot of other um, clients that aren't. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't mean that that's the only ones you see. That makes sense. And I think one thing that I want to point out here is that when you don't take the time early on to niche down, then over time you're building all this content, you're building your online presence, your business presence, if it's brick and mortar, all of these things. And later you actually pay more money to go back and kind of redo things because you've got to focus at some point and, and all that time and energy is to a degree wasted and you've got to start over because when you're not specific enough and it's not working and you have to go back and refine everything that actually costs you more money. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And in fact, my own personal example is that because while it looked like at the beginning I was being responsive to everybody, what that did was, um, and that was a real turning point in my business, is that on one particular weekend, three of my most important people in my life said to me, Ingrid, we have no idea what you do. Mm. And my sister, my best friend, and another very good business friend, you know, somebody I, I like we co-mentor each other and things like that. And it was fascinating that in the same weekend, all three of them said to me, Ingrid, we would do anything in the world to help you, but we don't know what you do. So we can't tell anybody else what you do. Mm-hmm. And that was my wake up call to say, okay, I need to get really clear about what I do, um, who I do it for so mm-hmm. that um, people can help me. Because that, and that's another point to that is that nobody can refer you if you are doing everything Absolutely. for everybody. Yeah. And the truth is, Catherine, if people did everything for everybody, you couldn't. Like if every single person who wants to start a business in Sydney even came to me, I couldn't cope with that, let alone Australia. And, you know, and I work with people around the world, but I work with that group of people who are health and well-being, predominantly Pilates, um, yeah, around the world. So, Wow. Mm. So, okay. You mentioned one way to start to dive in and figure out who your audience is, is to imagine your favorite clients. What if you're just getting started and you don't have that many clients? What are some steps that you recommend to help someone decide on their niche if they truly are trying to figure it out from the very beginning? I think it's tough at the beginning. I really do. Um, So there's a couple of things. If you've been an accountant in a corporation and you're now going and you've been working, you know, in accounting and you're going to set up your own accounting practice, you can probably do something similar. There's either probably a type of work you've enjoyed doing that you might've enjoyed um, doing reconciliations and, you know, um, going back through people who haven't done their tax return for a number of years. Maybe that's, 
that's your niche. Um, you might particularly be interested in working with creatives because you know they don't understand tax and accounting so much. So you might choose to be the accountant for creatives. So you, you probably have an idea from what you've done. I think where it becomes very difficult is if you're an accountant and now you want to run a flower shop or you've been an accountant and you want to be a photographer, what do you know about that? Have you been doing that as your hobby? And the, the chances are, if you absolutely sit with yourself, you know what niche you want. You know you want to take photos of people's dogs. You mm-hmm. actually don't want to do weddings. You, but you might do weddings just to earn some money, mind you, and as, as you know, <laughs> weddings are... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I can understand why nobody would ever want to take photos at a wedding because you're never going to get the right photo. I don't, sorry, I don't care how good you are. Somebody's always going to be unhappy. <laughs> but but choose your niche. But absolutely, I think that is where it's, that is where you have to be a little bit selfish and say, who is it that I truly love working with? Who lights me up, as to use your expression? Yeah. You know, when, when, whether it's, and there's, there's a pattern in your past, whether it's, starting a business and you've been in the corporate world or you've done, you know, odd jobs, you know, maybe waitressing, there will be a pattern of people that you are interested in. The pattern's there. Yeah. Or you've seen a niche in the future that you, um, that you think isn't being covered. So, you know, like we've had a lot of people over the last 10 years, there's a lot of specialty breads, there's a lot of specialty foods have come out because people have allergies or eating preferences and there isn't the products Mm. to meet that. And so, you know, I have a gorgeous client who makes chai tea. So she only makes chai tea. She's got a beautiful Indian heritage. Um, The family story is delightful, you know, and that's she makes chai and that's all she makes. Mm. So, you know, because that's part of her heritage and she tells her story and, you know, people just and and the whole well-being that comes with drinking that tea um, is is part of her story. And that's an interesting thing because when I talk about health and well-being and healing, People like that come to me as well because, you know, she's consistent with my philosophy of what is well-being for people and her tea fits into that. Do I go out talking to tea-making people to be my client? No, but she hears my language of health and well-being. So, yeah, the answer is there for people. They just need to take a good hard look at it and they know. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good point there. So, Focusing in on one specific kind of tea leads me to another question, and that is, how do you know when you've niched down far enough? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's doing really well. um, And, and, you know, it's funny. That's such a good question. People then, because we're starting our own business, one of the challenges is to not be a super creative and say, oh, what about this? Oh, the bright, shiny object um, Mm -hmm. syndrome. I I, I don't know if you know of that one, but it's the one where something pops up over here and you go, oh, that'd be nice. And I'm I'm so guilty of it. So I have to have a a board over here with my post-it notes saying, there's a bright, shiny object. Let's post that and we'll have a look at that in May. Mm -hmm. And if you're still so excited about it in May, we'll give it some more time. But right now you're focusing over here. Um, so what she's been approached with, and I'll use her as the example, is, oh, what about ice cream? Because it's super hot, you know. Oh, we don't really want to drink chai tea. We want to have chai ice cream. No, 
that's not what she does. She's mm. sticking to her chai tea. So it could, and but having said that, maybe a product that she might want to develop in the future is a chai ice cream. And so you do need to listen a little bit to the um, what the audience is looking for and what the market is demanding. Um, so, you know, what are the natural things that you would progress to? Um, but, yes, yeah, sticking with that early niche I think is important. Okay, mm. so... I think this even goes back to the example of Apple and really honing in on one thing and then eventually looking at extensions Mm, of mm, your products mm, or services, mm, but starting out with one thing and making sure that that's successful first. And clearly that's great. Yeah. And, and the phone, if we take Apple, the phone then was what took it to everybody. Yeah. And then, and then the Mac, you know, I don't know which came first, the Mac or the phone. Certainly the phone was my first product. And that's where Apple was so smart. You know, really the iPod was what introduced ordinary people, not the super creative people, but the iPod was a thousand songs in everybody's pocket. So, you know, that was the introduction that all of us could access something like an Apple product. And then if you look at that history again is then it was the phone, um, the Mac. And once you're in their architecture, you just can't get outside of it, can you? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, everything works together. And no, I certainly don't want to leave. Um, (laughs) I love Apple products. Um, And this isn't sponsored, by the way. No, this is not sponsored by (laughs) Apple in any way, shape or form. But I I just think it's such a good memory. Like people really, it it only was, and I know in those, in the 90s when we were getting computers, I didn't even understand what they did. I mean, I thought there's no way in the world I'd even, I'm sure the keystrokes are even different, you know, like mm, it was a mystery. It's, it was mysterious. It was over there. Yeah. Okay. So one more question for you related to this. Is there such a thing as niching down too much? I think the answer to that would be if you're not making any money and you have no clients, then potentially the answer is yes. Okay. So if you've become so narrow that nobody can find you, then yeah, maybe it is niche too much. But you know, there is a Facebook group. I don't know if you have it in America. I'm sure you do. But you know when the fruit and vegetables, the fruit particularly has a little sticker on it and the little sticker says where the apple came from or where the avocado was grown? Mm-hmm. There is a Facebook group for fruit stickers. That's pretty really? neat. Yeah. yeah. There's hundreds of people in that Facebook group because they're all over the world and they're, you know, there's something about them that they just get together. So I don't know what product or service you could offer fa- um, sticker fruit people. <laughs> but, you know, I think there's, you could, you can niche to a very, very narrow, there are people who have a very narrow interest and depending on what it is you offer, um, yeah, I I had a client um, just when she was first getting started, she only came to me a couple of times and she makes the tiny, tiny um, uh, decorations for uh, aquariums, for tiny fish aquariums. So she makes small toys to put inside a fish aquarium. Now that's a tiny market. But worldwide, that's a huge market. So that's all she does. She makes small animals for inside a fish tank, a tiny fish tank. So, you know, there's, I don't know, and she's successful, but she gets as much work as she wants to get to do um, doing what she loves and, do, and, and making gorgeous little things for people who, I don't know what they would do if they didn't have her online store to buy their little tiny fish tank decorations from. It's like interior design for fish tanks. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think it, there's a part of the answer to the question is that there is lots of examples of very tiny niches. Mm-hmm. And if you're making money and you have clients, then that's the answer to the question. If you haven't got enough, then what do you need to do about the niche? You either get your marketing out more and you find more of your people because they're out there or maybe you have narrowed so far. But there's how many billions of people on the planet? Right. Yeah, that's true. I feel like if you really focus in and you do the marketing well, that you can find your people. And of course, it relates to your goals and how much money you want to make and how many clients you want to serve. But um, your people are out there. And most of the time, people are really surprised by how few clients we need to have a profitable business. So many people think yeah. that you need billions of people or thousands, and really you just need a handful at a time to serve really well, especially in the service industry. Well, and especially too, because this is one of the things that I talk to people about is like, get the numbers right. So what do you actually need? You know, if you're if it costs you... a month to run your business. And that's for your phone, for your internet, for your insurances, for, you know, paying people to help you with some of the the things that you do. And you want to pay yourself a salary, say $2,000 a month or $5,000 a month. Well, what do you need? How many clients do you actually need to have Mm -hmm. to pay that? So, or multiply that over a year and, and figure out how many clients do you actually need? So for somebody who's home-based and service, that may not be a large number of people, as you just said. Mm. Now, if you're paying rent somewhere and you're paying $5,000 a month rent for somewhere, that changes the ball game. Like Perfect. that's, you know, if you've got Pilates equipment or you're a dentist and you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for equipment, now you're talking about a much bigger scale. And so, you know, you, you, you have to be careful how you niche that. Mm-hmm. But you can still do the same kind of thing. You know, there's, there's still every single person needs a dentist and pretty much everybody needs Pilates. So, you know, again, that scale is different depending on what your costs are. And as you said, how much money you want to make, how much, you know, what, what, how much hours are you prepared to put in? Because that's Mm -hmm. the other side of that is if you want to make a lot of money, then what are you prepared to do for that? Mm -hmm. You know, it takes effort. You know, when you read the histories of Elon Musk and and, um, Steve Jobs, those people worked 27 hours a day just to make their products. Uh, They worked more hours than they were in the day. I don't know how they do it, but that's what they've done. Right. That's a very important part of the equation. So you're right. You know, as you just said, you know, what is it that you really want from the business? It goes back to that. What is your goals? What are your dreams? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah. Mm. So let's bring that full circle then to your book. I want to chat about your book just a little bit before we wrap up. So what made you decide to write this book and, you know, why were you the right person to write the book? Well, I was part of a program and writing the book was part of the program. So it was a program that's had um, different aspects of what makes you successful as the expert in your field. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of that process of discovering what it was that I was my key expertise. Um, And so I chose a different topic to write the book about and I just couldn't get excited about it. It was, I just, you know, I sat down to write and it wasn't, and I just knew it wasn't me and it wasn't really something I was interested in. And then when I thought about the sort of people that I really wanted to impact And the reason I wrote that book is because I work a lot with people who are working in a business. And as you said, if you get things wrong, it can be very expensive to go back and fix things up. Mm -hmm. And so I thought if people actually 
spent just a little bit more time getting started, then maybe they wouldn't have to fix up so much down the track. Mm. And so that was the inspiration for writing that particular book. So the book was part of a program. And honestly, not everybody who's in that program writes a book. Um, It's a big deal to write a book. Uh, It's a lot more than most people realise. But once I got going, I was so excited to get the content on the paper and um, yeah so it, it really when I get the feedback from people um, the, the way it's helped them has been amazing. Mm. And you outlined seven steps to start your business yeah. right? So I talk about who are you to start a business so that's the first part um, mm. and then what is your idea, who is your audience, what's your brand, let's talk about numbers and then there's all the compliance stuff and then the marketing so there's the aspects of it um, and there's worksheets and things to work through. So it's it's quite, it's very comprehensive um, and, you know, it really does give people an idea. And I know that there's other books out there with the same kind of content, but, um, you know, it's a very practical approach. Uh, yeah, that's, it's, the feedback's been very um, welcoming. Awesome. So I will drop a link in the show notes so everyone can check that out. If you're starting a business and you want to check out her seven steps, then go click on the link in the show notes. And do you have any last parting words as we wrap up today? I, I think that there's never been a better time to start a business. It's never been easier. Look at the technology that we've got um, that you can, if you really know what you want to do and you are determined to do the work, to find the people who can help you, it's not something you can do on your own. It's a very lonely uh, being on bus- in business, especially if you are a home-based business. Um, it's It can be very expensive to make a lot of mistakes. People can waste a lot of time, a lot of energy, just fiddling around on their own. There's a lot of seat-of-the-pants sort of people. But for someone who is quite planful, uh, there is nothing to stop somebody being successful in business. Mm-hmm. That it, it, today it's easier than ever and um, there are more than enough people to help you with the various aspects. Um, I, I don't believe that one person can do everything for people. I think when people are getting started, they need different things. Super important to get their structure right, like have a chat to their accountant, make sure they've got the legalities, Mm. um, get your insurances in place, do those sorts of things, and then really think about who is your person, what is it you do for them, um, and what what will they appreciate about the, what the, the knowledge that you impart to them? And so find people to help you and just run like crazy. Just put your head down, do the work, get on with it. I love that. I um, <laughs> heard someone else recently talking about imperfect action. And I think that's just so important. Just get out there and do it. Like you said, just take the action. Yeah. Doesn't have yeah. to be perfect, but do it. Get it done. And sometimes that's scary because, you yeah. know, particularly if it's a service or it's something that we feel really passionate about, you know, just, you know, one of my greatest challenges is going out and talking to complete strangers and just saying, you know what, here's what I do. Is there anybody in your world that I could do this for? And you have to be able to sell. You, you know, you it's important to be able right. to, and we call it selling, but it's important to be able to communicate what you do really effectively so that people want to go, yeah, I need that. And um, that they come to you and say, yep, you're the one that I need. Mm. It's just so, you, no, your customers aren't going to find you sitting at home 
behind your Apple computer. I know. <laughs> if only it were that easy. So <laughs> no, I agree. So get the help that you need. Um, look to the resources that are available to you. There's so many, including your book. So everyone go check out her book. And Ingrid, thank you so go much. Go out and talk to people. Go out yeah. and talk to people about Absolutely. what you're doing. And yeah. All yeah. right. Catherine, thanks so much. Thank you. If you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, subscribe and leave a five-star review. And if you send me a screenshot of that review, I'll give you free access to my CEO scorecard. This is the same tool I use with my multiple six and seven-figure clients to help them up-level their role as CEO and achieve massive results. This resource is typically available exclusively to clients in my coaching program, The Elevate Effect. If you're ready to learn how to elevate your leadership, your team, and your business, head over to katherinebinkley.com forward slash The Elevate Effect and join us to reach your next level of success.